You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Jason Diamond, the sports editor at RollingStone.com and founder of Volume One Brooklyn. He was born in Cook County and currently lives in Brooklyn. Jason joins me today to talk to me about his new book, Searching for John Hughes, Everything I Thought I Needed to Know About Life I Learned from Watching 80s Movies, publishing by William Morrow, November 29th. I like to make the joke that like there's that part of the Bible where you just don't get that like little part of Jesus's life. I'm Jewish, so I don't really know much about that, but I've, I've been told. Um, and so there's this little part of my life that in my like <laughs> early 20s when I was just totally screwing up and couldn't really concentrate on college, couldn't hold down any friendships, couldn't keep a job. And eventually I ended up living in Florida for a while and I just was like, what am I doing here in my early 20s in Florida? I want to write. Florida's the last place you should go. Welcome, Jason. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Searching for John Hughes is described as a memoir growing up obsessed with and then saved by John Hughes movies. Mm -hmm. For those who might not know, and there may be some, who is John Hughes and why did you feel the need to search for him? Uh, for those who don't know, which, hello, I am here to teach you. He was a, uh, a director who directed films like 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, and also wrote and produced a number of films, including Home Alone, uh, all the way up to classics like Flubber and 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, people forget Flubber. Yeah, I, know, I love Flubber. Um, but he really made his mark with uh, the teen films, and also a couple of great films with John Candy. Um, and he died a few years back. And you say that he set himself apart by elevating the stories of a handful of normal teens, but making them unforgettable, relatable, and even philosophical. Mm -hmm. Although when we learn about your childhood, so you grew up in the exact neighborhood or nearby to sort of set the scene in terms of why your your life was so primed to be obsessed with John Hughes. I grew up all around the Chicago suburbs. Um, I was born in Skokie, Illinois, which I talk about in the book is not technically the North Shore of Chicago, but it's like one of the first suburbs when you get out of Chicago. And then to the right is the North Shore. And uh, it's a city that does show up in some of his films. Uh, and then as I grew up, I lived in a number of the cities, you know, divorced parents, moving around a lot, um, and just other circumstances had me moving from places like Lake Forest to Buffalo Grove to Long Grove to a lot of places with a grove in it, which is kind of a, a thing in the burbs, I guess, groves and lakes. Um, and I had watched, I started watching his films when I was really young because of a babysitter um, and I just instantly recognized the place. I was like, that's, that's like my backyard. You recognize the place, but the, your living conditions were quite, quite different than those depicted in his films. And at one point you say, you know, you realize that if Kevin McAllister can, you know, defeat the robbers, y you can manage to live on a friend's futon to get through high school. Cause at that point you were really going from house to house to house because yeah. your folks had split. So, so tell us just a little bit about what your family life was like. It was difficult. Um, my parents 
uh, had a pretty troubled marriage from about the time I can remember, like as early as I can remember, there was a lot of trouble and, um, you know, trouble with your parents kind of, you know, between your parents. I don't know how other families are, but I feel like it's, if there's trouble with your parents sooner or later, there'll be trouble with you and, and them and, you know, certain things escalated. Uh, we never really saw eye to eye on a lot of things. I was obviously a kid, so I don't really think it's the kid's job to see eye to eye with the parents, but I would agree. Um, you know, just a lot of things that very unpleasant, unhappy things. My father lost visitation rights with me when I was 12 and my mother left Chicago for good when I was just as I was turning 16 uh, and kind of left me on my own and I kind of lost contact with her over the next few, six months, year. And I've basically kind of been, to this day, I've spent half my life estranged from one parent or the other. Yeah, well, it was, it was pretty rough, I mean, from, from what you tell in the book. So you use these films as as somewhat of an escape, correct? But it's really oh, yeah. much more than that. I mean, I really would, I wouldn't say that, that that's all it was. There's a true admiration and and... And joy that you f- you find in these movies. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I also, I mean, I also try to bring up that I mean, I'm a fan of, I, I love reading. Um, I'm a huge book nerd, uh, and you know, I love escaping into stories. I think uh, we've been kind of conditioned to be like, oh, you shouldn't, and you shouldn't like try to like live those stories. But I think we've kind of gotten to this point where we're like, oh, you know, these stories they're not real, yada yada yada. Mm. But I really. The books I would read, the music I would listen to, and especially his films, just kind of gave me this sort of template. I thought for what I was like, this is what I'd like. This is this looks nice. I mean, there's strife, and it's honest that there's strife, and the teens have issues, the parents have issues, but at the end, it it sort of all works out for everybody. And you know, I I really liked that a lot. So, so at what point did you? A decide. I'm going to do A two and D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get that reference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did you A decide you were going to become a writer? Two move to New York, and D decide that you were going to, <laughs> you know, spend your all your waking hours. Well, you had to earn a living, which you did in a variety of jobs, but spend your 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 passion on on this biography. Well, I mean, I, I always wanted to be a writer. That was. It was the only thing that I, I was like, even when I was a kid, yeah. I'd, I would write stories, I would write comic books uh, that I would try to illustrate myself and never been that good at that. Um, and, you know, I think I like to make the joke that like there's that part of the Bible where you just don't get that like little part of Jesus's life. I'm Jewish, so I don't really know much about that, but I've, I've been told. Um, and so there's this little part of my life that in my like <laughs> early 20s when I was just totally screwing up and couldn't really concentrate on college, couldn't hold down any friendships, couldn't keep a job. And eventually I ended up living in Florida for a while. And I just was like, what am I doing here in my early 20s in Florida? Uh, I want to write. Florida's the last place you should go when you're in your early 20s. Or when you're slightly depressed, it would seem. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird place. Um, and I uh, I just I ended up just one day just being like, I'm leaving. And in, in, I think, like two or three weeks, I was on a Greyhound bus and I got here. And the idea of the, you know, I talk about it in the book a little bit, but it was sort of like, 
kind of came to me because I wanted to be, I thought I wanted to be like this like great novelist. You know, you have all these dreams when you're young. I mean, I still have dreams, but you know, I, I, I had all these expectations. When I, when I was reading the book and you, you sort of talk about how this sort of happened to you, mm-hmm. I'm a huge sports fan and we'll oh. talk about the Cubs in a minute, but congratulations. <laughs> um, but the, I have a phrase, uh, it's not my phrase, but I, I think of the, the phrase, the team chooses you, you don't choose your team. Yeah. Because I grew up in Cincinnati, I was a Reds fan, moved up here, had a son who became a Yankee fan, and right. I've been a Yankees fan, I'm sorry, ever since. Because, and there's just, and people say, how did that happen? I say, you, your team chooses you, you don't choose your team. And I feel like that's what happened to you. It was like, this book, or trying to write the John Hughes bio sort of chose you. It's almost like you didn't even choose it. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, was, it was sort of, I mean, in retrospect, and this was sort of something I was trying to hammer home, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with like these sort of like, Don Quixote and Ignatius J. Riley from a Confederacy of these kind of like an yeah. Oblomov and these kind of these characters that don't sort of understand how silly they're being. And I think initially like that was sort of like I started to realize like I was sort of one of those characters. Like I had this idea and this fixation and it became borderline obsessive. And I mean, the idea of writing a, a biography to this day and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a career writer now. Yeah, no, you're a very accomplished <laughs> professional <laughs> these to, days. <laughs> to this, yeah, and to this day, it's still really strange to me to be like, I, I can't believe that I wanted to write a biography. That's a, a huge task. Like a biography, a good biography. I mean, you could probably get away with, but I mean, I just I had all these dreams, and I, that and it's was, a very specific task. It's not just a huge task, but like like you talk about a little bit, it rev, it involves. A lot of other things other than just writing. Oh, I mean, absolutely. you know what I mean. So that's that's what's also quite interesting about the the choice. Yeah, and I, I kind of like like to uh, compare it to like some guy who has no business building a building, like building a skyscraper, but he's got all these materials, and he's just I'm going to keep doing this. I'm just going to keep seeing how far I could push this, and then it just sort of collapses. And... So a lot of the book is that realization. That I'm just going to read something where you say, nobody ever taught me to look at my work and know when to give up the ghost. It was a lesson I needed to learn. It took me months to get over the fact that I wasn't cut out for the job that I basically believed to be my divine right. I mean, I think part of that, parents struggle with exactly how to teach that, I I, I would say. You know, that, that's a very fine line and something that is hard to teach. You, you almost have to learn it through failing. I think some people never learn it. So talk to us about what happened when you that really set in and you really started to understand that. Um, well, I am, I'm a big believer in in, in failing upwards. I, I I think by by failing and by sort of realizing, finally coming to that conclusion, you know, I just I think I started to get a little bit more real. And I've I've been I've had phases in my life and moments in my life where I've been able to something slap me in the head and like you know, not, not, not literally all the time, but most of the time it was a metaphor, but, um, something hit me in the head and I just sort of started realizing like, Oh man, I got to fix this. I got to change this. Like, I think like a moment of clarity kind of thing. Um, and I just sort of, I don't know. I just realized I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a path and I'm building this path myself. Um, as I, you know, I'm putting the bricks in front of me and I'm going to walk and keep going. And I just, you know, I was like, if I want to be a writer, I got to work. Yeah, you, you know, just have to start. Yeah, and I just, I really, I really was so young and silly. I was like, 
it's just going to happen. I'm just going to write this well, book. I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know that it was silly. It was it was sort of, when, when I read your story, it was what you needed to do. It was, you know, you, you did certain things during the day to earn the money. And then if you weren't going to go entirely crazy, mm-hmm. you needed to sit and write. And what you were writing happened to be this one piece that you eventually changed. But it's very clear, uh, it, it seems to me, that, that that effort, that effort of writing is what sort of saved you. Would, do you oh. think that's being a little too no, melodramatic? No, 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 Oh, my God. I, when I hear people like kind of like, you know, ever dismiss any sort of art, any sort of creative whatever, they're like, oh, yeah, it's just what you do. It's just, no, I mean, I have to write. And I was learning that. I mean, it was the first time I was ever writing anything that meant anything to me. Like yeah. before that, I'd like written zines and... You know, I would sit and just doodle like these weird little short stories in my notebook. And, you know, that didn't, I I just knew that wasn't really going anywhere. And I think it gave me a little hope for the first time, I think, in my, definitely in my adult life. Because I, you know, I felt really pretty hopeless growing up. Um, And that lasted me into my 20s, like well into my 20s throughout the course of this book. And that's actually, I think, what the book sort of highlights is my hopeless period, which is, the first maybe 28 years of my life and then it just started getting sunny it's, it's getting it's getting better so with this publication what do you hope is the result of publishing this book of of telling this story of going so public with this dark period in your life well i mean i like to tell people you know i think there's a lot to be learned about failing it's yeah, like trying and failing don't forget the trying right, part, trying, right? yeah 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 but Yes, definitely. And I, what I think is it's we're told we can do anything in this world. And that's just this idea. And this is not trying to come off as a cynic at all because I'm, I, I really hope I'm one of the least cynical people I know. I but, think you are, yes. But I, I, I do believe that that is, you know, that's not always true. You can't always do, exactly. you know, maybe one day you can, maybe one day you can write the John Hughes biography. But, you know, you're not always going to, you can't, there's a pretty slim chance you could be an astronaut pretty slim chance you could be the president. You know, you, you can't do anything you want. Uh, you could work hard at it, but, and that was one thing. You know, the other thing is I, I just, I really, I finally, I, I closed, you know, I, I, I want to say closed the book on it, but I, I closed my computer screen after I finished writing and I was sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, I really hope somebody reads this and, thinks, you know, if there's some, if they're in any little dark period, that there's a way out of that. There's a way out. Yeah. And it, it was a weird feeling because I'm like, I <laughs> like five, ten, ten years ago, I, I've been pretty happy for the last seven or eight years since I met my wife. But um, I would have been in no position to tell anybody that. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to kind of feel like, you know, I'm now in that position is just really gratifying. And you did it yourself. Oh yeah. You know, you really. I think it's both. You're you're out of that dark period, and you pulled yourself out. I mean that that image of the brick of laying those bricks. It was literally laying those bricks <laughs> to get to the sunnier side of the street that you just methodically and deliberately worked at. Yeah, it's really weird. It's kind of crazy because I've never given myself credit for much. I'm I'm just not good at that. Like I can write something, and I'm like, oh, cool, that's done. That's work. I mean, I think it's like sort of my like Midwestern sort of, mm-hmm. you know, it's. Um, well, it also might have something to do with your upbringing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But <laughs> but that's also what is 
what I find compelling about the book is it's such a specific and delightful. It's not it's not like a boring you know oh, yeah. brick by brick. It's a delightful story, but it's really highlights an individual's effort and an individual result. And again, I go back to sort of parenting and. One of the things that I think about a lot, and I say it all the time, is that you know, if I can teach my children that you go to the world, the world doesn't come to you. That's mm-hmm. like the one thing I would want to teach them. Yeah. And this book is exactly that story. It's like I tried, I did all these things, I even ended up failing, but I kept trying and I kept going out and putting myself on the line, and it worked out. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in you wake up and you've got another day ahead of you. Um, I, I, I'm like, I have all these like weird, they just pop into my head, these like stupid motivational quotes, but I'm like, I actually no, do. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Give us one. That's it. That's my favorite one. You just, yeah. you wake up. Well, you're a Cubs fan also. I mean, you've got to just have that eternal hope. It's kind of funny. I mean, my wife, you know, she grew up in a Red Sox household. She did? Yeah. So it's kind of, it's actually great in a weird way. So I was really happy when the, when they got knocked out. Me I'm, too. Yeah. You and me both. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I was just like, there is no way this is going to survive if it's Cubs and Red Sox. Uh, but uh, it's kind of funny because, like, you know, I'm, I go up to New England a lot because my wife goes to school in Connecticut, and uh, I don't see her during the week, and oh. uh, so I'm there on the weekends, and you know, I see people see me see me walking around in my Cubs hat, and they're all like. Go Cubs, and they've always got a Red Sox thing on. I'm like, you get oh, it. Oh man, yeah, they relate. Yeah, it's kind that's of funny. nice. That's nice. Yeah. I think there, I think there are individual team fans, and then I think there are baseball fans. Yeah, and I think most Red Sox fans are baseball fans. Yeah, you know, yeah. Cubs same, fans, Cubs fans are too. But yeah, I think so. They like to drink, so they get kind of obnoxious, and it's fun. You know, they're it's always been fun. They're my other great love in this world, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I believe in magic, you know? I really do. Tell us about your writing life now. What what kind of work are you doing? I write about, I edit and write about sports uh, at Rolling Stone, which is, once again, the career path just takes weird winding. Because I mean, I've been an editor at a Jewish pop culture website. Uh, I was a, a books editor at a website called Flavorwire. I was at a men's magazine before Rolling Stone. I've just been sort of, you know, I'm happy filling in any role, but there's something about sports that's really interesting to me uh, because I think people don't really want to write about sports. Mm. They just want to give the same old cliche stuff. And mm. So it's a new challenge every day to like work with writers that I really like and to come up with stories that really tell Story, something. Yeah, yeah, stories, um, yeah. So that's been fun because, you know, I know there is a stigma that sports are stupid. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think some people think, you know. No, I think you're right, yeah. of course. <laughs> and I mean, I, I grew up, you know, my parents were like, well, he's got ADHD and he's kind of an angry kid. You know what we should do? We should put him on skates and give him a stick and let him play. So I loved playing hockey. I was really good at baseball for a while. You know, I grew up playing some sports um, and that was really the only kind of constant in my childhood. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I have a fondness for for sports. Um and then I'm working, I'm editing, co-editing with my um, volume one Brooklyn partner, Tobias Carroll. I'm uh, co-editing an anthology of essays on the decline of the mall. Oh. Something I've been kind of obsessed with. I write a little bit about malls in my book. Yeah. Um, I, I'm starting to notice as I, as I grow older as a writer, certain themes and certain yeah. th- kind of are popping up. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because my whole life I've been paying attention to the themes of other writers and you don't think it's such a unconscious thing that these theme, these themes uh, stay with you. 
It's kind of, of fascinating. That is very interesting. What do you like to read in terms of long form fiction or nonfiction? Uh, I like everything. I mean, I for fiction, I am a weirdo. I love going back to the 19th century. Mm. Uh, Russians, mm-hmm. uh, especially the Russians. Yeah, um, those are I, good. Yeah, I'm a big. I mean, I think it's kind of. Uh, since my family's mostly from Russia, I think there's sort of something about that. Um, you know, I just finished uh, The Wings versus the World, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was absolutely wonderful. I love immigrant stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like a huge fan of Gary Steingart when I still am. But, you know, like, you know, when I read the Russian Nubitons handbook, I was like, if I ever could write a novel, which I can't, I don't think, I'd want to write something like this. Yeah. Um, uh, but with, with, Nonfiction. I mean, I'm all over the place. Yeah. It just it totally depends how I'm feeling. I read probably like two or three books a week. Yeah. Um, I read a whole lot, and yeah, it just depends. Which books do you reread? What are your What are your touchstone? Uh, I that's a, it's a funny thing because I don't actually consciously ever go reread stuff, but I've read my friend Jamie Attenberg, who blurbed my book, who is like you know she's like my family in a lot of ways because she's from Buffalo Grove, Illinois. <clears throat> excuse me uh i've read her book the middle scenes three times uh both because i love it but also because i've been tasked with writing about it a few times and i'm like man this is just like a warm blanket i love this book i'm always getting into this um i've reread uh, uh a couple of Saul Bellow books yeah. twice i'm a big Saul Bellow fan i read white teeth by zadie smith twice mm-hmm. um you know sometimes it's out of necessity um, but last year I decided I was going to read Don Quixote a second time, which was the weirdest idea. Cause I'm like, that's a massive book. Yeah, that's, yeah. But when I read it, I think the first time when I was I don't know, like, in, like in high school or in early twenties, I forget when I first read it, but I, um, I think I just kind of, yeah, you know, that thing yeah. you're like, oh, I'm reading it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I just told myself like, no, I'm going to read 10 pages every night from this part this part of the summer until the end of the year uh, or whenever it was thanksgiving and i did that and that was a yeah made all the difference yeah hugely rewarding experience um i go back to dickens yeah oh and, and gatsby i've read yeah i've written a lot about fitzgerald for like the paris review and the times um which is a weird thing to say but i've read a lot of it reread a lot of fitzgerald yeah he's my favorite yeah he's he's something else he's a Lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, this has been so nice. Thank you so much for coming oh, thank in. Thank you. This was wonderful. The book is Searching for John Hughes, Everything I Thought I Needed to Know About Life, I Learned from Watching 80s Movies by Jason Diamond, and it's publishing by William Morrow, November 29th. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you have, that you'll subscribe. To do so, you just go to your podcast app, search for Harper Audio Presents, and click subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a conversation of publisher plus author plus microphone.